To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. How does the Bible say we should treat one another? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Today, I want to encourage and exhort you from the Word of God. We're in an age of ever-increasing isolation and unhealthy independence, and our lack of interdependence on our fellow believers in Yeshua has made us weak and ineffective, contributing to our own loss of standing and influence in the society around us. Second only to the epidemic of biblical illiteracy, our lack of true community with one another in the body of Messiah has stunted and stifled the message of salvation, leaving us looking anemic and misguided to the world. So today I want to urge you to reach out and be receptive to your fellow believers in Messiah. And what better way to do that than to take a quick tour through the New Covenant Scriptures, the New Testament, to look at some of the key occurrences of the phrase, one another. You ready? Okay, here we go. To start off, what we need to realize most of all is that as followers of Messiah, we are in reality no longer just individuals, but members of the larger body of Messiah. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says, For as in one individual's body, we each have many members, and all the members do not have the same function. So we, the many, are one body in Messiah, and each one members of one another. So Paul is using the example of our own physical bodies to illustrate how we're all connected within Messiah's body. Our bodies have different parts, different members, all with various functions. Our hands, feet, eyes, ears, heart, and mind. But they're all members of one another. Our body parts don't function independently, but as parts of the whole body. It's the same with Messiah's body. Even though we often act like we're separate and independent of one another, in Messiah, we're not. Not at all. We're meant to function together to achieve Messiah's goals in the world around us. We're each members of one another, designed and fitted together in Messiah to work toward a common goal, including our common health and effectiveness as a body. When we separate and walk independently of one another, we're dismembering Messiah's body, leaving it in a condition under which it's incapable of functioning correctly. And so if we're going to correctly function as Yeshua's body, then we need to make sure we're in proper working order. And that can only begin when we start looking outside ourselves, especially when we seek to carry the burdens of one another. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if a man is also taken by any misstep, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a ruach, a spirit of humility. Carry the burdens of one another, and in this way you will fill up the Torah of the Messiah. The burdens and missteps that Paul's talking about here have to do with the actions of the flesh that lead us into sin. 
It's the temptations of our flesh and the resulting sin that causes us to separate and sequester ourselves from others, either because we're ashamed of what we're doing or because we don't want to be told to stop. To carry one another's burdens, then, is to help restore one another to a place of wholeness in Messiah. Carrying burdens means helping to lift one another up from the weight of our sin and flesh and to help us take hold of our freedom in Messiah, to walk in the Spirit and in peace. Yeshua gave us to one another so that however often we may sin and give into our flesh, we don't have to bear the burden of finding our way back alone. To that end, then, we also ought to be taking advantage of the benefit we have as members of one another and take the often difficult and embarrassing step of confessing our sins to one another. Yaakov, Jacob, or James, chapter 5, verse 16 says, So be confessing your sins to one another and be praying for one another so that you may be healed. For of great power is a prayer from a righteous man working effectively. This is huge because of our tendency to try to hide and cover over our sins, to give the impression to others that we're holy and clean before God when we're not. In a time when everyone's putting their life online for the whole world to see, you would think that confession would come easy. But our flesh despises the idea that someone might not only find out who we really are in private, but then judge or shame us as a result. While finding someone trustworthy to confide in may not be easy, we have to start with the understanding that as long as we want to be healed from the effects of sin, as long as we want to unload our burden, confession isn't optional. Confession to God goes without saying, but confession to one another brings present help and accountability. And then we're to pray for one another to seal that healing. We need to enter into relationships with one another where we can share the mutual benefits of confession and prayer. The power that these produce together bring a healing now that can't be achieved without them. So with our sins confessed and our burdens carried, it's time to walk in the Spirit and get to work for God. But along the way, we'll encounter difficulties and discouragement. And that's why it's so important that as we walk together, we encourage and build up one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another, and each one build up the other one, even as you are doing. Paul's not talking here about simply giving each other a pep talk when you're feeling down or depressed. He was saying this so that we would build each other up as we endure the trials of life while we work and wait to be home with the master. He also says in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, So then, let us pursue the things of peace and the things of building up one another. Here, building up is in opposition to tearing down, as we also tend to do with one another. Not only are we to encourage one another to persevere, but we're not to engage in behavior toward each other that causes stumbling and strife. We're to do otherwise and instead look for ways that will boost and fortify each other in the faith of the Messiah. And we see this also in Paul's showing us how, when we walk well in our faith, we are built up and encouraged by seeing that same strong faith in one another. Romans chapter 1, 
verses 11 through 12 says, For I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, that you may be stabilized, and that is for me to be encouraged together with you through the faith we see in one another, both yours and mine. Perhaps the greatest obstacle to our being members of one another is that we're often just plain selfish. So to overcome that, Paul tells us what to do. Stop it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 24 says, All things are permitted, but not all things are profitable. All things are permitted, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own, but one another's. In other words, as followers of Messiah, we're not supposed to put ourselves first. We're not supposed to seek our own. We're to be constantly looking beyond the end of our nose and seeking not to profit and build up our own things, but one another's, the other members of Messiah's body. What we want should be second, but that doesn't mean that we always have to do without, because the beauty of this is that if we're all seeking to meet the needs and wants of others, then there's never a need to be thinking about ourselves. Everyone receives because we're all seeking to benefit and build up each other. Not that such a thing will come easy by any means. We have to put off our old selfish self to put others' feelings and priorities before our own. And in order to do this, we have to be humble. And where we once held our pride, we are to instead count one another higher than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Do nothing in selfish ambition or in conceit, but in humility of mind, count one another higher than yourselves. Each of you not looking to your own things, but each also to the things of others. Let this thinking be in you that is also in Messiah Yeshua. Paul's expanding here on what he wrote earlier to the Corinthians. Don't act out of selfish ambition. Don't be arrogant and conceited, looking only to get what you want. But instead, be humble and count one another higher than yourself. This means we need to consider ourselves in our minds to be lower than others and to instead elevate others and their needs above ourselves and our own needs. We're to consider other members of Messiah's body greater and more important than how we see ourselves. Paul also echoes himself here when he says to look not to our own things, but also to the things of others, because this was the same thinking that was also in our master. He's telling us to put the needs and concerns of others before our own, because this is exactly how Yeshua thought of us. When we think this way about ourselves and others, it completely destroys our individualistic spirit and self-orientation. It redirects our thinking from off ourselves and outward toward others, preparing the way for unity. Because in Messiah, we're not supposed to be retreating into ourselves, walking without the fellowship of others and having our own way of doing things. Instead, we're supposed to walk together as one body in Messiah and be of the same mind toward one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, be of the same mind one toward another, not thinking the high things, but going along with the humble-minded ones, become not wise in your own conceit. To have the same mind toward one another, then, 
is to seek agreement and to not let our pride and conceit block that union. In our world today, we're told that we can just agree to disagree, to each his own, you do you, speak your truth, and for all of us to just live as we wish without the influence or intrusion of others. Now, that may work on some level as far as civil freedoms are concerned, but just as the parts of our own bodies aren't free to do as they wish, to dismember when they disagree, neither is the body of Messiah. Paul also talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, when he says, And I call upon you, brothers, through the name of our Master, Yeshua the Messiah, that you all say the same thing, and there may not be divisions among you, and you may be perfectly united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul's not just saying to think the same things, but to say the same things, and to be perfectly united in the way we see things in our judgment. This, of course, is something our flesh hates, because we confuse conformity with unity. We think that we should have our own mind on everything, including how we're to walk out our faith in Messiah, that no one should be allowed to tell us what to do, and that there's somehow something wrong with the idea that we're supposed to think and behave and speak and see the world the same way as every other believer in Yeshua. But if the word is what we allow to form our thoughts and direct our actions, then Paul's directive to us here is exactly right. If we're all reading from the same book and approaching it with the same understanding, then toward one another, we will all have the same mind. And God wants this from us, not simply for the sake of unity among ourselves, but so that the world may see his glory. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 6 says, And may the God of the perseverance and of the exhortation give to you to have the same mind toward one another, according to Messiah Yeshua, so that with one mind and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Master Yeshua the Messiah. So if we're to have the same mind toward one another, if we're united in mind and word and judgment, then just as when our whole physical body becomes distressed because just one part of it's hurt, so should we have the same anxiety for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 24 through 27 says, Rather, God mixed the body together, having given more abundant honor to the lacking part, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same anxiety for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is glorified, all the members rejoice with it. And you are the body of Messiah, and in particular, its members. That word anxiety is such an amazing word, because it's something that we've been trained not to want. But Paul's not talking here about the negative kind of anxiety that we normally associate with the word. He's saying that we need to care about one another with a sense of urgency. We need to not treat one another's cares casually or lightly, completely untroubled or only mildly bothered by what each other's going through. But we're instead supposed to care about one another as if their difficulties or shortcomings were our own. If their situation is dire, we need to share their alarm. If their suffering is intolerable, we need to share their discomfort. When we're sick, we're sick together. When we're healthy, we're healthy together. 
To share the same anxiety for one another is to be eager and anxious to see one another's difficulties dissolved. To see us all functioning together as one healthy, joyful body for Messiah. Our unity as members of Yeshua's body, then, depends upon our willingness to swallow our pride, consider others higher than ourselves, and voluntarily take on the cares and pains that are not our own. But in order to do that, we also have to be willing to not only humble ourselves in our minds, but to listen to what others have to say to us about ourselves, and be willing to defer to their wisdom and judgment in our lives. And that's why the humility that leads us to lower ourselves also says that we need to submit to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of Messiah. And First Kepha, Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger ones, be submitted to the Zechonim, the elders or older ones, and all to one another. Clothe yourselves with humble-mindedness, because God resists the proud, but to the humble he gives unmerited favor. There's another word we've been programmed to have an aversion to, submit. So Paul says to submit ourselves to one another. And Peter says that the younger are to be submitted to the older, as well as all of us submitted to one another. So understand what we're being told to do here. The scriptures aren't demanding that we put ourselves under subjection to the overbearing authority of other believers to obey their rule over us, to comply with their commands. There's nothing here that would even give a hint of such an idea. On the contrary, the scriptures are teaching us a mutual submission, not simply submit, but to submit to one another, based on our shared faith and trust in Messiah. Once we realize and truly accept that we're not perfect and are prone to have errors in judgment, then when we receive correction from other members of the body, especially those who are older, we willingly submit. And the only reason that it works is because our submission is wrapped in humble-mindedness. We, in our humility, submit, and the others, in their humility, correct, and then we switch places. Is there a danger for abuse in this? Of course, as in all relationships. But if we stay humble, Peter gives us cover for that as well. Because God resists the proud, but to the humble he gives unmerited favor. Our submission, then, is also for our building up. Because humble correction doesn't repress, it sets us free. When we're mutually submitted, then, that position of humility gives us a voice we don't otherwise have. And with that voice, we can then urge on and exhort one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says, See this, brothers, otherwise there will be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief, resulting in the falling away from the living God. Rather, exhort one another every day, while it is called the today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin. To exhort is to warn, to admonish, to encourage, or to persuade. And every day, it says, we're to remember the deceitfulness of sin and how it can lead to our falling away, and then turn to our brothers and sisters in Messiah, in our circle of influence, and with their eternal destiny in our hearts, exhort one another. Not be harsh, not be cruel, not even be fire and brimstone, necessarily maybe sometimes. 
Whatever it takes to help maintain a strong and steady faith in others. Whatever it takes to make sure that an evil heart of unbelief never takes hold. We need to say it and do it for the sake of one another. In chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it also says, May we hold fast to the unwavering profession of the hope, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good actions, not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together, as is the custom of certain people, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day coming near. Not only are we to exhort one another, but the scriptures also tell us to provoke one another, to remind and prod and incite one another to love and good actions. Our profession of faith in Messiah must be converted into activity. Otherwise, it's inauthentic and insufficient. When we exhort and provoke one another to love and good actions, we're admonishing each other to make our faith real and therefore make Messiah real to the world and to each other. So as the flesh and blood human beings that we are, we need that exhortation and provocation to keep us fixed and focused on our common purpose in Yeshua. But equally so, being flawed and deficient despite our new creation in Messiah will also inevitably fall short in our mutual walk together. So when someone hurts us or wounds us or lets us down, rather than reciprocate, we need to do as the Master Yeshua did for us and choose to bear with and forgive one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as chosen ones of God, holy and loved, put on the inward parts of compassion, kindness, humble-mindedness, humility, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other if anyone may have a complaint with anyone. And as the Master forgave you, so also should you forgive. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, I then, the prisoner of the Master, call upon you to walk worthily of the calling with which you were called, with all humble-mindedness and humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Ruach, the Spirit, in the bond of peace. And also in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness and rage and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, along with all hateful feelings, and become kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as also God in Messiah forgave you. We are capable of such despicable behavior, especially toward those we love and those with whom we share in the one body of Messiah. The scriptures tell us to put away such fleshly behavior and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we were called. But when that same behavior is then turned back toward us, our humble, patient response must be to bear it and forgive. A proportional response is not okay. Neither is a strategic withdrawal. Instead, we need to stand and in love, work it out. In what can sometimes seem like an impossible feat, when we're on the receiving end of rage and wrath and hate, we're exhorted to walk in true endurance and forgiveness toward our fellow believers in Yeshua, because our Master and our God first did it for us. Only in love can we find it within ourselves to bear with betrayal. 
only in love can we have the will to forgive evil done against us. And we can only truly follow the loving, self-sacrificial ways of our master and walk in unity with all the members of Messiah's body when, above all else, we tenderly, wholeheartedly, and intensely love one another. First Kepha, Peter, chapter 1, verse 22 says, Having purified your souls in the obedience of the truth to brotherly love unfeigned, love one another intensely from the heart. And later in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, In front of all things, be having the intense love to one another, because love covers a great number of sins. Unfeigned, sincere, real love is in no way temperate or shallow. It doesn't stop short with feelings and emotions, but goes all the way to the execution stake and back again. Love carries burdens and hears confessions. It lifts up prayers and gives encouragement. Love builds others up rather than seeking its own. It counts others higher than itself and submits itself to humility. Love doesn't allow others to fall away, but confronts and exhorts and provokes. It bears with hate and bitterness and rage and forgives complaints, offenses, and pain. Love is what saved us and set us free from sin. And true love, not tolerance and acceptance of all viewpoints and behaviors, is what makes us one body in Messiah. Only the kind of intense, authentic love that the Master exhibits toward us will bring us together in unity and cause us to treat one another as we should. Only that true love will show to the world who we are in Messiah and in turn show the true Messiah to the world. For as the Master Yeshua teaches us in Yochanan, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, as I loved you, that you also love one another. In this will all know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The way that we love and serve and lift up and carry one another is the part of God's love that we neglect the most. He didn't design us and recreate us to only need his majestic, invisible, amazing love, but equally his tangible, practical, and spiritual love as it comes to us through one another. So when we withhold that love and encouragement and care, we're not only hurting each other, but our testimony that we serve the one who is love, the true and living God. Living in true community as Messiah followers will only be possible if we live and move and be according to God's perfect word. And that's especially true if we embrace the words one another's. We need to remember above all else that we are members of one another, the various parts of Messiah's body. So we need to carry the burdens of one another and help restore each other to purity and wholeness. We need to confess our sins to one another so that we'll be healed and also pray for one another to seal that healing. We need to encourage one another so that we can endure the trials of life and also build up one another to fortify our faith in Yeshua. We need to seek not our own things, but one another's putting the needs of others before our own. 
and also to count one another higher than ourselves, lowering ourselves and elevating others. We need to be of the same mind toward one another, united in our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. And we need to have the same anxiety for one another, suffering as one, rejoicing as one, eager for each other's blessings. We need to submit to one another and receive correction in trust and humility. And we need to exhort and provoke one another to love and doing good, putting our faith into action. We must bear with and forgive one another as the Master Yeshua also forgave us. And we must love one another intensely with the true love of Messiah so that all will know that we are his disciples. Our numbers as true followers of the Master Yeshua are continuing to shrink in large part because the love and faith that most of us walk out today is self-oriented, inward-focused, and independent. But like our own physical bodies, we, the body of Messiah, were made to work and function together, interdependent and reliant upon one another in a world that needs Yeshua's hands and feet and voice now more desperately than ever. So reach out, rely upon, and be receptive to your fellow followers of the Messiah Yeshua. It's not enough to simply share a faith together that we each walk in alone. We are one in Messiah's body. We are members of one another. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom. Shalom.